Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to another exciting edition of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is September 15th, 2014. We've got a big show for you this week talking about, of course, USC being upset on the road 37-31 to Boston College, laying an egg after that exciting win up on the farm against Stanford. we got Dan Weber coming up later on in the show. we got Coach Harvey Hyde in here right now. Coach, wanted to welcome you into the program, talk about this team. We've got a lot of questions to get to. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. But, Coach, man, it wasn't the most exciting start for for USC heading into this bye week. Not a good one at all, uh, Ryan. Uh, After the exciting victory at Stanford, everybody's pumped up. Everyone's excited about USC and the football program and Steve Sarkeesian and the whole package, and then USC goes on a uh, away game and lays an egg. Uh, really not uh, just losing a football game, but bringing up a lot of questions about USC as far as how good are they, what about the play calling, what about the defense, how good is the defense, how do you stop the option, one running play, uh, a lot of questions now with USC. A lot of questions. Steve Sarkeesian admitting uh, a lot of problems in his post-game interviews. Uh, I don't know what he uh, – if he said that in his post-game interviews, I don't know what he's saying in his staff meetings, but I know what I'd be saying in my staff meetings, uh, and I'd be looking at myself first as far as uh, it starts with me. The offense, uh, very – boring type of offense as far as not up-tempo like it was supposed to be. I said on the pregame show I thought it would be back to what they tried to do against Fresno State, up-tempo, mix it up, run, pass, uh, stop uh, the running game of Boston College, which means Tyler Murphy, and if he had any type of imagination, you know, he's the only real threat on the offensive side of the football. Uh, That wasn't done. Uh, offensive play calling, a big question mark, did not utilize the receivers as they should against a defense uh, as far as uh, the man coverage that they played. Offensive line could not pass block at all, so you got to go to a max protection and throw some short routes, and they jumped on those routes, so pump those routes and run corners and run crossing routes. When I saw one crossing route with Nelson Aguilar down the line of scrimmage, I said, wow, he caught the ball and there was no gain. So I wondered (laughs) what the heck is going on with that route. I don't know if you remember that route at all. Uh, They didn't test their secondary. They threw a a deep route early in the game to Bryce Dixon. He dropped it. The first series of the game, more or less, I started thinking. I said the first play of the game was a reverse to Dixon Farmer, or to uh, uh, George Farmer, no game. And they came back with a run, very few games. 
and they came back, and he was Allen uh, missed a block, and he was forced. They throw an incomplete pass. Then, if I remember correctly, I don't know if it was the punt on that series or not, but uh, when they punted the ball, it was a bad snap, and the punter did a, an unbelievable uh, recovery from that and punted the ball pretty well down to about the 10-yard line. But what a start and what a finish. Uh, it just uh, is too bad when you're up 10-zip, when you're up 17-6, that you can't finish what you started. And uh, what happened, they caught up to what you were doing, figured it out, and it was all over with. You weren't doing anything. Yeah. So it wasn't hard to stop. No, I agree with you, Coach, and uh, good introduction there. And we got we got a lot of questions to get to, so I'm going to jump in here with those. And uh, before we do that, thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. You can go to sctickets.com. It's SC Tickets Incorporated. You can call them at 1-800-888-7287. If you have questions for us, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. You can call 206-888-6755. That's our voicemail. Or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com and check out the podcast there. You can click on the left side of the page and leave us a voicemail right from your computer. You can follow the coach at Coach Harvey Hyde on Twitter. You can follow me at Inside Troy. And Coach, let's start off with the voicemail question. You touched on some of his points, uh, but let me play this one for you and, and get your response. Hey, Ryan. Chris from Fontana, long-time listener of the podcast. Just got through watching the BC game, and I'm so disappointed. Um, and I was a big Sarkeesian supporter uh, when he was hired on. Um, Fresno State looked fantastic, up triple offense. That's kind of what we were all expecting. Stanford, he switched it up, but he got the win. You can't really fault him there. But uh, tonight was a disaster, uh, both offensively and defensively. Offensively, um, you know, a lot of people were calling Sarkeesian Lane Kiffin 2.0, um, and uh, I, I certainly didn't think that until tonight. Um, it looked a lot like Lane Kiffin coached that football game. Uh, he was extremely stubborn with the run. The run wasn't working. Uh, he's got fantastic receivers at his disposal. He never tested the secondary and never threw the ball. Well, I shouldn't say never, but he didn't throw the ball downfield very much at all. And um, it was just it was just a disaster. I was ready to jump through the screen at him. So I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on it. Um, I hope this isn't something that continues. And I hope that we see this, you know, 100-plus uh, play up-tempo offense uh, coming back pretty soon. And one more thing, we once again struggle with the dual-threat running quarterback, which has been, you know, an Achilles heel for USC over the past several years. So, anyway, guys, love the podcast. Uh, thanks a lot. Fight on. Well, that's quite a question, uh, Chris and Fontana. It, uh, more or less, uh, I covered some of that in the opening of the podcast. It's more or less the entire game. Uh, I think you watch the game like I watch the game. You understand the game of football. You understand uh, the strengths uh, of the offense and defense. And I have to agree with you. Uh, really, uh, what worries me here, Chris, is USC was, I don't want to say lucky to beat Stanford, but Stanford more or less, if you look back at, at it, the game beat itself, a chop block, a touchdown, missed two field goals, uh, uh, in the red zone, uh, doesn't what are they two or five in the red zone or three or three or five in the red zone? Uh, make it uh, a possibility for USC to win that football game. Then the way that USC played at Boston College, I'm saying, wait a minute, is my expectations too high? Is this football team 
as good as what I think it is. Uh, basically the same type of approach in the game, game plan-wise. I thought they would, after the Fresno State game, you know, put in other parts of the series. Uh, what I mean by a series, when you run that one run up the middle to Buck Allen and you don't have a quarterback keep on it, uh, because, uh, Cody is not Tyler Murphy or any of the other type of quarterbacks when you run this offense, it's oh outside threat they're not stretching the line of scrimmage whatsoever i mean they don't have option they don't run toss they don't put any type of of uh, quarterback keeps they ran the bootleg twice and made 25 yards or 20 yards each time and never ran it again run the bootleg and run a drag or do some crossing routes or deep post off that action sprint away from where you're getting forced though because the offensive line could not block the defensive line of, of BC. And basically they got beat on both sides of the line. The offensive line got beat by their defense and same the other way. So uh, I wasn't happy with the defensive performance. As you mentioned, I don't think they stopped. They saw, they sweep, they got beat by their old, old sweep. They, they couldn't stop anything outside, whether it's Tyler Murphy or a sweep or an option. They ran three types of outside plays and didn't stop any of them. So it wasn't a, a good day for USC, and it uh, you just hope that uh, it's repairable and you go back and try to put it back together where you get your confidence of your team back. Uh, your team goes back there trying to make a, an impression on the East Coast, and basically uh, Boston College is the one you're impressed with. I sure wouldn't want to play Pitt. Yeah, <laughs> Pitt beat him thirty to twenty, and 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 Pitt runs up and down the field on him. And Tyler Boyd, their, their sophomore receiver, catches two touchdown passes on him. Yet USC doesn't at all test the secondary, as Chris mentioned. In any way, any type of of way of throwing the ball down the field, they threw two balls down the field. One to Nelson Aguilar, and he was forced out of bounds early in the game to Bryce Dixon, and he should have caught that for a touchdown. But never again did they come back with any type of pass play, any type of pass over the middle. Uh, when they jumped on those slant routes, run some slant corners, pump it and throw a corner route out there, that one pass they almost intercepted. If you'd have pumped that and put the ball up in the air, that guy would have not known what hit him. So this is it's easy for me to sit back today and say this, but these are things I see during the game. If you watch the game on television, you hear the announcers talking and saying the same things I'm almost saying now. So it's not just my opinion. I think it's opinion of anybody that knows football. Yeah, I agree, Coach. Well, thanks for that, that question there. And uh, lots, of, lots of questions coming out of this game. And um, we'll keep going through them, and we'll chat a little bit more about it, Coach, just you and me. But Melvin wanted to know, uh, what do you think our problem on defense is against the run? Weak personnel against the run, meaning that our linebackers and cornerbacks can't support the line uh, coming in to stop the run or is it our defensive line or is it defensive strategy and defensive coordinator that has, has to come up with better schemes? What do you think about the run stopping ability of this team coach? They ran for uh, for over 450 yards to USC's 20 on Saturday. Well, you know, I'm starting to think, starting to think that maybe the defensive front isn't as physical as what we thought it was. 
or it's quick. I don't see any push out of it. They're always playing on the line of scrimmage. I never see much penetration. I see Leonard Williams penetrate at times. I don't see a great pass rush by the defensive line of USC. They don't stunt their backers much, so you don't get much help, but you don't see uh, on their rush much uh, penetration on the other side of the football. So it seems like they're always catching or guys are getting a start on them before they get going. As far as the outside containment, I see nothing there. I, I don't understand what they're doing defensively. I see the shoulders of the defensive ends face not square down the line of scrimmage where they can start an op, stop an option and one guy's got the quarterback and the other guy got the pitch guy. I see their shoulders turn towards the quarterback coming and he knows right now I'm going to toss the ball. That's what you key. And, uh, but there's nobody on the toss guy. So I wonder if they've ever, you know, when I look at it sometimes, I wonder, did you ever scout this team? Did you know what this team does? And it's obvious the person you want to take out of the game is Tyler Murphy. I mean, he's a, he was coming into the game. He was one of the top rushers in the country. Uh, as a quarterback, uh, let him throw the football to beat you. Stop the run and let him call. Get up there. Eight in the box if you have to. Do whatever you have to do to stop the run. Uh, make him throw the ball. Now, he threw the ball a couple times pretty good. Guys dropped the football, but that's probably because they're not good at it. And But I'd have made him do that to beat me, but they didn't. They didn't stop the up. They could have ran that keep with Tyler Murphy the entire day. They never made an adjustment to it. Later on, they brought Suva Craven up, or Stu Craven up, uh, Suva, and uh, he made a good play on one. But otherwise, man, it was a long day. It definitely was. And, Coach, I watched that pit game, just doing a little scouting myself, and, and the impression I got uh, you know, from that was that I thought Tyler Murphy was going to have a pretty big day running the football, but he wouldn't be able to throw. Uh, he, he just wasn't all that accurate. It just didn't look comfortable when he was throwing the football into his, I mean, he only threw for 54 yards in that game, but he had a bunch of drops. I mean, he had a couple passes like tight ends where the play action worked and, you know, they, they, he got guys open and he had time to throw on the run, hit guys and they dropped it. So he could have had better passing numbers than that, but I didn't expect him to run for 191 yards and pretty much run at will. And I, I mean, he made it look easy out there against this USC defense. Well, right. They didn't have to pass football. There was no reason to, uh, to pass the football. They ran the football. They gave FC different types of looks. They went over, unbalanced, high, option, uh, read, uh, read run, read option. They did it all, and they did it well. And, uh, man, I'll tell you, uh, it looked as though FC wasn't prepared for that. But they did it well, and they opera, they ran their offense, and, their head coach is a spirited guy, and he had them guys believing. you got to put them away when you're on the road and you're up 10-0. you got to put them away. And SC never put them away. He, they let them hang in there. And the longer the game went on, the more confidence they got. The crowd got into the game, and they believed they could beat this team from USC. At the beginning of the game, you could look on the coach's face and see he was scared like they were. They had to play. It's like they're in a foxhole. They had to play hard, and they did. They got down, but they fought back when it was 17-6. Uh, then the, the game went into halftime, and they were ahead at half, I think, 20-17. to 17. 
they said at half, we got a chance. We can win this football game. And they did. And when it was too late, SC opened up and did what they should have done the whole game, throw the receivers and, and forget the run because they have one running play and they figured that one out and, and, and go for it. But uh, they didn't do that. And at the end of the game, it was too late. And I really feel possibly if they'd have gotten that onside kick, there's a lot of if they'd have gotten this and if they'd have done that, they were starting to do things there at the end of the game where they would have caused a lot of problem for uh, for BC. So, you know, that's what I saw. Um, well, you, you mentioned that, and Edward had a question along those lines. Um, question that needs to be asked is, why did Cody Kessler and Steve Sarkeesian wait until the fourth quarter to start passing the football? BC got our, our run down early, but we still used it. I hope SC starts to get more of a balanced offense, especially if they want the Pac-12 championship. That's Edward. Well, if you have the receivers you have, and I think you have the, one of the top group of receivers in the country, I haven't seen anybody that match them so far. I certainly would utilize them. I really would, and I'd figure out a way to pass block. Currently, right now, they can't pass block. So you're going to have to figure out a way of a max, prote- max protection, block down to the inside, run two backs in there and have the backs pick up the outside guy. Do something and throw the football to your uh, three receivers. Just have three receivers and do crossing routes and deep routes and comeback routes and middle routes and delay routes and delay screens and everything. You just got to do something because, uh, you, you know, they're going to figure out their one running play. And uh, right now, uh, you know, when you figure that out and you know you have no outside threat, why not just pinch it down? Why do you care about anything to the outside? So that's what they're doing now, and they figured out, too, when you watch the tapes, that they're not very good at pass blocking. If you watch the offensive line, their positioning, they cross-charged. They couldn't pick up the cross-charge. Their shoulders were, were turned. They were already turned before the guy got to him and gave him uh, room to get through to, to pressure Cody. And what's that done to Cody now? It's He's got it in his mind that I better get this ball off in a hurry because I don't have confidence in my offensive line. I hate to say that, but that happens after a couple of games. You start to say, I'm not getting the pass protection I have, so I can't make my normal reads. I got to get rid of this football. And uh, he's lost some confidence in that. I can see that happening. It happens to anybody. I used to say, you think it's fun to stand back there? Let me Here, let me give you the football, take a tackle and put him back there, and let him feel like – find out what it feels like to get hit as a quarterback back there. So you better block up there. So uh, I think that's where we are. And, you know, there's, uh, you know everybody's dejected. And, and I think most of all what everybody is, Ryan is embarrassed. Was they watch their football team get outcoached, outmanned, outplayed in all aspects of the game. Um, yep, hard to argue, argue with that, Coach. Uh, but we've got a couple more. Tarek had a question. Sua Cravens uh, does a good job playing that Sam linebacker spot. Why not just have him man that spot full-time since we have two good safeties in Liam McQuay and Gerald Bowman? That's from Tarek. Well, I, I don't know. Uh, obviously, they have their reasons. Uh, 
uh, I don't know why they're what their what their you know real schemes are. I don't sit in their staff meetings or understand why they're doing this and that. All I do is see what's happening. So Sue does good, do a good job on that. He made some good plays. In fact, uh, I almost gave him. If you're going to give somebody the defensive player of the game, I almost gave it to him. I really. Well, I did give it to him. That's right, I did give it to him. It was between him and Gerald Bowman. I did give Sue Craven. He he made some plays. He was a playmaker. Yeah, early in the game yeah. too, he made a bunch of plays behind the line of scrimmage that actually disrupted right. the the Boston College offense. When that stopped, and they got a bunch of yards on first down, then they just kept rolling. You're exactly right. I was just thinking about that when you you know before you started saying it. You're exactly right. Why they do it? I don't know. Maybe they will do it. Maybe he doesn't want to play it, but he plays it, and he does a good job when he's there. they got to make some corrections on all of this. So when you start to face these other teams that have these running uh, quarterbacks, I mean, there's there's some problems down the road here with Arizona State. They look really good, and Arizona, and uh, think about, uh, well, you don't have to play Oregon, but the other teams you have to play, wow, I'll tell you, going into Utah is not going to be easy either. No. So uh, a lot of these games earlier when we were looking back, all of us, not just me, and you said, oh, they beat Stanford. Oh, this one's winnable. That one's winnable. This one's winnable. This one, we can win. It'll be tough, but we can win this game. Right now, everybody's saying, I don't know which one's winnable. (laughs) Yeah, losing Uh, that game. That's what I'm thinking today. No, yeah. I mean, any game on the schedule is now losable because of that game against Boston College. That's right. Yeah. I mean, that. Fresno State, everyone was coming away feeling good. You feel good about Stanford. Even if it was ugly, it's still a, a really powerful team. But Fresno State's given up 50 points to all three of their opponents so far this year. So you, can't, you thought that this offense would get back to the Fresno State level, but it looks like that's more of the exception than the rule because everybody that's played Fresno State, even teams that are struggling like Nebraska, they put up 50 points on Fresno. I agree 100%. That's why I say that there's no more gimmies. Not that there was any to start with, but you thought you'd be just better than some teams. You'd have, have, uh, you'd uh, just athletic them. You have more players than they do. But yeah. right now, uh, I don't see that anywhere. I, I see every game being a struggle. All right. Well, let's go. We got one more question, and we can chat a little bit more. Uh, Taylor D says, "Got to hand it to Coach Sark and Coach Wilcox. If there was ever a time." to make Tyler Murphy look like Vince Young, doing it on a national stage was it. Seeing that this defense is having trouble with uh, setting edges and containing quarterbacks gives me worries the rest of the way. It's no secret that after Ed Orgeron took over last year and installed a more physical practice schedule, one that tackled more, that our defense started playing better. Do you see Sark doing something similar? And secondly, what will it take for Wilcox to make adjustments in the second half, the next time we see an adjustment from his defense this year will be the first time. Harsh words there from Taylor D. Well, uh, you know, uh, Orgeron did bring a toughness to the defense at USC. You know, that that's his uh, personality. You better play tough. Uh, yesterday, I saw a lot of missed tackles. I saw, you know, I don't want to make excuses, but it just didn't look like athletes playing at times. I mean, uh, a guy would make a cut on the ball, or and you, they would fall down, or or the guy would run over him, the running back. And, and look at these. These guys are freshman running backs. 
the little receiver number six that ran that little five six, 150 pounds. Wow! I mean, uh, he he was electric. He was electric. I mean, he was unbelievable. I'm surprised he didn't run that run that reverse another time. I really am. Uh, I don't know what it's going to take. I don't get paid. Two million, one million dollars a year. I didn't get a one million dollar buyout to come down as the defensive coordinator. But one thing you got to do is put something up there that they can execute, and you've got to be able to cover the field. I mean, you've got to be able to have support outside, and you've got to have people filling. And it's not like this was a surprise. I mean, these this type of offense has been on the field now for a long period of time, last three or four years. This is now becoming the most popular offense in football. Even the NFL is using it. Maybe the NFL isn't running their quarterbacks, but they're uh, showing that type of threat that they can, and maybe once in a while they will. If you remember in the first game, Cody kept the ball one time and walked in for a touchdown. He didn't get touched. But you see, people don't care about that in the middle of the field because Cody isn't going to run 66 yards like Tyler Murphy did. He's going to run six or seven yards and then slide. But Tyler's going to go for the big play. And, you know, Essie has big play players and the receivers. And you got to give them a chance to, to make big plays. You just can't give up. you got to go back and throw it again and get the ball in these type of guys' hands. That's what makes them exciting. And, again, if they're going to be an up-tempo offense, then make it up-tempo. At the end of the game, they started to make it more up-tempo, and they had some success. I'm not saying they that that's why they did it. Maybe, you know, they were playing a little looser on them. But still, you got to do what you do best, and you can't just be so conservative. And They've been so conservative as far as their passing game, Ryan. No, and they... running game, if you want me to tell you the truth. When you think about one play, I think you got that one taught by now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like the fact that they ran familiar plays on third downs and things like that against Stanford, but that run play, it seemed like the same one over and over again. <laughs> uh, but the, the the question mentioned Ed Orgeron, I've seen a lot of tweets, Coach, about Ed Orgeron. I knew this was going to come up as soon as Steve Sarkeesian lost the game. That's why the Stanford win, to me, was so big, because Ed Orgeron beat Stanford. And once Steve Sarkeesian did, too, I thought that would get him some reprieve, but I really didn't think he'd come back and lose to a Boston College the week after that. But there, So there's been some talk about Ordron. There's talk about Clancy Pendergast, who's not working right now. His defense is working really well. But to be fair, after that Stanford game, USC beat Colorado, but then looked terrible, kind of like what you saw against uh, Boston College over the weekend, against UCLA. And it wasn't the same defense. It just didn't even look like the same team. It's kind of similar to what we're seeing against Boston College just didn't really look like the same team. So I know there's a lot of calls, and I love Orgeron, and I thought Pendergast did a great job, but they also kind of fell on their face, you know, two weeks after the, the big Stanford win as well. Well, you know, when you when you talk about it, if you want to talk about the past, uh, the play calling is not what it was when Clay Helton called plays, especially in the Las Vegas Bowl when he was the head coach. Fair enough, yeah. There was more, there was more offense, more things happening throw the football, run the football, looked like there was an offense out there. Now, is he calling the plays or is Sarkeesian calling the plays? I don't know. I've never asked these questions. I never go to their press conferences. 
but I'd like to ask the question, who's calling the plays? Uh, so that the proper fixing is, is done, that there's a question about this. I, that's why I don't go to press conferences, because I might ask the questions that coaches <laughs> might not want to answer. But I, I do believe but, that Steve Sarkeesian is still calling the plays. I mean, that's what he said the plan was going to be. We haven't heard that that has changed. Um, but that's something we can, you know, try to ask about nicely, I guess. But I, I believe it's still going to be him calling the plays. And, you know, he he said last week, Coach, that they ran the, they wanted to really run the ball against Stanford to kind of help the defense and stuff. And he felt he did that almost to a fault. So if it's something like where you admit you kind of made a mistake the week before, like we stuck with the run a little long, I was kind of surprised he stuck with it that long, even into the second half when you felt at halftime they should just scrap it and like, look, we got to throw the football. And it still took him till the fourth quarter to make that happen. So it seems like Steve Sarkeesian knew that there was an issue last week didn't, and thought he was going to fix it this week, didn't, thought he would fix it at halftime, didn't. I, I think that's what's concerning for a lot of USC fans. Well, it is concerning, and, and it is because you know you have the athletes, just like the end of the game, when they started to throw the ball around, when they ran that one play to Buck Allen, he made six or eight yards on it because now they have a different thing to defend. They had to loosen up. They had to play differently. But if you just run that same play all the time and they don't have to worry about the passing game much and and you never went deep hardly at all on any routes twice the entire game, well, what are they worrying about? They just keep things in front of them and they don't, you don't really utilize your team speed that you had an advantage over. So, you know, I, I, I just think that, uh, you know, I don't want to second guess, but I am. But you call me and you have me on this show to give you my opinion, and and that's what I'm giving. And, of course, I admire Coach Sarkeesian because in the post-game interviews, he absolutely came out and said that uh, it's a part of all of us, part of not only the players but the coaches, myself. We got dominated on the offense and defensive side of the line. And... uh, I don't think that can just happen overnight. I don't think a team, if you're not ready to play, can be dominated so much by a team the week before, well, two weeks, barely beat UMass. I don't know how good UMass is. Was dominated by Pitt and then comes and dominates the number nine team in the country, if this should be number nine in the country. Wow, that's a big turnaround. All right. Well, Coach, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. We'll uh, have a bi-week podcast, so we'll be able to regroup. So make sure you send in your questions for Coach and, and Dan Weber, who's going to be coming up next. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. 
We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast talking with USCfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. we got a lot of questions to get to, Dan, so I want to jump right in here. And we got a voicemail question for you. I'm going to play that for you and, and get your thoughts. Here we go. Hey, gentlemen. Uh, this is uh, Sean calling. I, I wanted to ask what your thoughts were on the play calling. Um, it seemed like it was, uh, it was a foregone conclusion that the run was not working for us at maybe halfway through the first quarter. Why is Sark so begrudgingly just going with the run? Um, I think a lot of people are frustrated with that. Thanks for the question. All right, uh, Sean, you're not the only one asking that, that question. Uh, obviously, uh, we asked it with, you know, to Sark tonight, and it turns out Sark himself is asking that question big time. Uh, asking whether, uh, you know, he said this is the second week in a row we we were stubborn about running the football, and he said, when is, uh, you know, when are you too stubborn? And he pretty much admitted last night against Boston College he was too stubborn. Because I asked him, uh, for example, said, you ran Buck Allen 15 times for 31 yards. You threw it to him nine times for 118 yards. So wouldn't you be better off just throwing it to him a whole lot more since they didn't show any ability to stop him catching the ball, and they sure were able to stop the run. Uh, and Sark pretty much, I think, admitted that this is a team that has to decide, are they going to throw the ball to set up the run, or are they going to run the ball to set up the throw? I think he didn't admit that they'd already figured that out, but I think they figured it out, that this is going to have to be a team that throws the ball to set up the run. Uh, not the classic uh, run, 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 play action USC team. This is going to be a team that's going to have to come out with a lot of wide receivers and a lot of quick action. They can't afford those three and outs that they're getting when they go, you know, run nothing, run nothing, and then third and long. That just <laughs> yeah. doesn't work. And then six straight times they, you know, third and long, they get no uh, – no offensive rhythm at all, and uh, this team can't play. You can't run this system if you have no offensive rhythm and if your offense isn't on the field, and then that really makes life difficult for the defense. So in every way, they got to get that right. I think they're going to go the other direction. They've got a lot of wide receivers. They've got a quarterback that throws the ball quickly, throws it on the run, uh, and maybe for a young offensive line, you're better off when you, uh, you maybe you know, be a pass first team, and they really, you know, get the pass blocking down, and they get the quick release down, and all that kind of thing. And, and the thing I think about when you're throwing the ball, those quick things and those flares and all of that to Buck Allen, that's just a long handoff, really. I mean, that's what you want. I mean, instead of handing him the ball with two guys grabbing him by the ankles before he gets started. Why not get him, uh, get him where you know that they, you know, get him out in space a little bit, then get him the ball, and get him, you know, that's obviously to me that's, you know, with this team when you look at all his weapons, that's the number one weapon is getting the ball to Buck in space, and uh, you know that the ideal thing about that is you don't know where he's if you're the defense you don't know where he's going. I mean you, know, you can go any sideline to sideline. I mean you can run wheel routes and running deep either as well. But um, they got to figure this out, this offense, and 
they at least are asking all the right questions, Sark is. Now, hopefully, he's got the right answer already. I think he knows the answer. And he knows last night he screwed up. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Hard to disagree with that one, Dan. And I don't think anyone from USC Nation will, the Georgia Nation will disagree with you there. Um, we got another question. He says, sorry, but I'm a little confused. What am I missing? They loaded the box against the run, and we did not. Worst play calling on both sides of the ball. David from behind the orange curtain. David, yeah, I mean, I think the numbers bear that out. When you run 16 plays on offense that don't get back to the line of scrimmage, you have had just one horrendous day of, uh, of play calling and execution. I mean, 16 times they didn't get the ball back to the line of scrimmage. That's almost that's impossible. That's unbelievable. A team with these, kinds, this, with these offensive weapons, 16 times they didn't get the ball back to the line of scrimmage? That's just, uh, you know, can't do it that badly. I mean, that's just, that's impossible. Um, okay, well, let's go to Steve in San Diego. He's got the next one. It's a little long, so bear with me. So says, first, thank you always for the podcast, and congratulations on your move to Scout. Thanks very much, Steve. Um, I've been a listener since episode eight or nine. Wow, that's a long time ago. Uh, wow. well, I'm disappointed in the loss. I'm not on the ledge, and I haven't signed the petition to fire Sark yet. We've had one full season and three games to watch Cody Kessler. To me, he reminds me of Rob Johnson, part two i.e. great practice player, has all the tools, can throw accurately very well, but when the team is stumbling, he can't make a play. I was, on a, I was a football manager and saw firsthand how Rob would struggle when the pressure was on him. It seems all the team has to do after that last few games is to take the run away, apply a little pressure, and it's game over for USC's offense. I hate saying that because Cody seems like a nice kid, but he is not the guy who can carry the team the way Matt did when everyone else was struggling, i.e., he can manage the game but not carry a team. Will Sark revisit the QB competition at all? That's Steven San Diego. Pretty harsh. Yeah, I couldn't disagree more with Steve. I don't think – I mean, Rob Johnson, come on. Uh, I mean, I didn't get to see him play that much live, but I've seen some of those games, uh, uh, those classic games, and uh, – I mean, the accuracy issues and things like that. I mean, you don't see that with Cody and the, and the composure. Cody, uh, a lot of composure. I mean, I think if you're Cody last night and they're doing stuff that you know they probably shouldn't be doing and they're putting you in situations where, I mean, yeah, he's not Brett Hundley. He's not going to just say, well, everybody's covered. Luckily, it looks like the defense is all spread out. Maybe I can just run. And now if you want that, that's fine. But – to think that, that Max Brown is the answer over Cody, uh, I mean, you can't complete passes that they don't call passes, you know? I mean, if you're if you're uh, 16 times, you don't get the ball back to the line of scrimmage. If you're third and long most of the time, that's not the quarterback's problem. Third and long, I mean, they made, as we were talking before, they made a lot of third and longs against Fresno. They had to, you know, they had to come, you know, Cody got six straight of those. I think that's a pretty good job, actually, putting in a, put in a difficult situation. But uh, the stubbornness on the run and being a run first team that can't get the job done on the run uh, has put the quarterback in a really difficult spot. But, 
you know, you don't want to be a third and long quarterback. And, uh, you know, Cody has, you know, did that and successfully against, you know, Fresno kind of survived against, uh, uh, you know, Sanford, but it's not fair to ask him, okay, you're third and long, Cody. Now everybody in the place knows you got to throw the ball and we're going to run some, uh, you know, six yard route and hope the defense falls down and maybe we can fall for a first down. You know, I, I just think, no, I I cannot disagree more. I think uh, if Cody throws the ball accurately, he throws it on time, he throws it on the on the money. Uh, I think they got to take advantage of what he does, and they haven't been doing that. I think they got to go to him more and allow him to be uh, you know the player he can be. And uh, if that means throwing the ball 50, uh, 50 times a game, that's fine with me. Yeah, I mean, he had great numbers. He threw for over 300 yards. Yeah, I think 75%. I mean, I don't think it was really him. And like you said, the, he was put in pretty bad situations. It was I, There was a tweet that I retweeted yesterday that got a lot of uh, traction where it was kind of like run, run, sack, oh, yeah. punt, repeat. And, 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 and I had tweeted that, and, like, it, it happened again. It was like I think there were six drives oh, yeah. in a row that were three plays. For USC, so I I can't put that all on, on Cody Kessler like like you said, Dan. Uh, I can't put it on him at all, actually. I mean, really, uh, you know, I, and I know people say, oh, you, to run this offense, you really do need a quarterback who can run the ball. Yeah, and then then you end up with uh, you know what Arizona State and UCLA are going to play, and both of their quarterbacks are hurt. You know, I mean. And and I'm not sure that that's the way you want to go. Where that you know, in order to uh, you know save you, you need a quarterback who can absolutely run the ball. Uh, I'm, I think Cody is well, uh, you know, set up to run this offense. I think the offense has got to just you know start using everybody uh, to their ability. I mean, you know, Buck Allen I think is is as good a you know pass receiver as anybody in college football. And uh, and he can catch and convert it, and I think they've got to do more to, you know, I mean, he got 118 yards receiving and nine catches yesterday. You know, yesterday, that just you know, Boston College had no answer for him, and uh, you know, it wasn't Cody's fault that they called him 15 runs for 31 yards. I mean, it, you know, that what if you just reverse those? You know, that might have been 100 more yards for you know for Buck. Uh, so uh, I think. Placing any blame on Cody at this point is not right. All right, let's go to Stephen Poway had a question. It was it started off with shoes, so I know I wanted to ask you about this. And actually, if, if you listen to uh, Coach Harvey Hyde and uh, Pete Arbogast on the broadcast, they I mean the uh, Trojan brunch they do Sunday mornings, um, they talked about this too. And and Pete Arbogast, who you know didn't feel that there was uh, an issue with footing and stuff and, and Harvey Hyde did. And a lot of the callers end up feeling that too, but Stephen Poway had this question. So I wanted to get your thoughts on this, Dan, did the equipment managers bring the wrong shoes? Seriously. It looked like several USC players, Buck Allen, Juju Smith, among others were literally skating on ice. I know all the players play on the same wet field, but were all players wearing appropriate turf shoes and some, was this an equipment issue or are we in for a long season? Stephen Poway. I think you guys are in a long season if you're thinking about the shoes. Uh, there really aren't uh, that many choices anymore. They're basically, everybody wears the same shoe if you're watching Monday. You know, say you watch a you know an NFL game, 
it's sort of a mid-length uh, cleat, uh, you know, more of the multi, multi-cleat. Uh, they used to have more options, but they can't make any money uh, with the specific, you know, if they get really specific about, you know, uh, Oregon, we'd, we'd see them every once in a while with some of these special specialized shoes that Nike made for different surfaces. They don't see that anymore. So you basically, uh, you know, if you if you're slipping or sliding, uh, you know, it's not really the shoes. I mean, there may be some some occasions where you need a longer cleat, but the multi they've got you know it's a multi studded kind of a you know narrow uh, narrow cleat that just is pretty much standard for everybody on almost all surfaces now. And it's not it's not the way it used to be. And uh, I think, and from being down on the field, I didn't see. I mean, obviously, you know, when it's raining a little bit, but it wasn't a bad turf at all. I think some of that is just, you know, kind of being a little bit maybe a little bit late or a little bit careless or, or whatever. But uh, but uh, there wasn't. I don't think a great reason to to be having a, a slipping problem. And and so I, I don't think I think that's misplaced a little bit. That kind of that kind of worry about equipment guys bringing the wrong shoes. There aren't any other shoes to bring anymore. Basically, those are the shoes. And they got the best shoes Nike makes. He's got the shoes they're wearing are are the absolute you know best that Nike makes, and they're really good, really good shoes. Although, except for Cody, he's got a special kind of issue with his ankles that he kind of wears those a uh, little bit heavier a little bit higher kind of you know lineman shoes that have got a little more width to them but uh but uh, no it's not a it's not a shoe problem okay um let's go kevin in south orange county we've talked about the the play calling but he kind of wants to get into why um sark seems to be very stubborn about running when it's not working stanford and bc locked us up yet he kept going what's up with that does this have anything to do with him not trusting his receiver, seems like he's not confident in how young and inexperienced we are out wide. Brutal week from Kevin in South Orange County. No, I think a lot of it has to do with the success he had last year with Bishop Sankey. And they just, you know, got a couple of thousand yards out of him, and it turned things around, and it really validated, I think, Sark's move to this this offense. And, uh, and yet uh, – you know, every year is not the same. You know, he didn't have three, you know, freshman offensive linemen or he didn't have as many wide receivers and all of that, you know, at Washington last year. Uh, but he just hesitated. I mean, and he was this way as an assistant at USC. As much as he came out, you know, as a, you know, big-time passing quarterback at, uh, you know, Brigham Young and all that, he was a run-first guy at USC always. Uh, and, uh He's still a run-first guy. But uh, this may not be a run-first team, and this may not be run-first personnel. And you may just have to say, I'll run it, but only when I set the run up by throwing it. And um, I think that – but, no, I think it's a, he's, he's just a guy who believes in running the ball first. And that's not a wrong thing to do. There are a lot of – you know, a lot of people believe that, and a lot of people do it. I'm not sure you can do it. I mean, we were trying to think – has there ever been a team at this, uh, say, a top ten team, which they were last week, uh, that had you know that many three you know true freshmen offensive linemen, another first time starter, 
Uh, and we couldn't ever think of one. And that's probably because I don't think there has been. I mean, I don't know that you could even go try to find any place where anybody, uh, you know, at this level has played three true freshmen. I know it just doesn't happen. And there may be a good reason why that. You, you can't do it. So, uh, you know, is, is, is that something you got to factor in in terms of, uh, you know, whether you become a run-first team or whether you try to be a completely multiple team that can, you know, run everything uh, much as they're trying to do on defense with a, kind of a multiple defense, and it was obvious uh, they, they're not a team that can do that. All right. Uh, let's, the next one's from Chris. He says, what do you think the coaching staff will learn from this loss? Specifically, do you think they will realize that the team – can't be successful if the offensive game plan is one-dimensional. They don't make adjustments when something isn't working. It's not a rhetorical question because they didn't seem to make any offensive adjustment adjustments following the Stanford game. If running up the middle isn't working, why not at least try the quick tempo passing attack that has proven to be very effective? Chris and Cambria. So similar to some other stuff, but yeah. Well, you know, I mean, and you point out the difficulty of of framing that question because you say. They can't be successful, uh, you know, essentially with a one-dimensional attack. And then you make the point that they need to go to the quick passing, up-tempo, you know, uh, passing game. And uh, I think you can be successful in a one-dimensional uh, offense. Look at Boston College last night. You know, the only hope, I kept thinking, the only hope is if Boston College decides to throw the ball because the chances are USC might catch it as much. So they were totally one-dimensional. And it didn't seem to bother them uh, because they had a quarterback and a, you know, a couple of running backs that could really uh, you know, get to the edge, and, and they didn't need to throw the ball. And there may be times when USC doesn't need to run the ball. But if they throw the ball really well, they should be able to run the ball because finally you're going to make people stop you throwing the ball. They didn't. For example, Boston College last night didn't have to stop USC's passing attack. USC stopped itself. That's what has, has to not happen anymore. Uh, USC can't stop itself, can't take its, you know, if you've got nine wide receivers, you can't take them out of the game. If you've got a tight end that can get deep, you can't not take advantage of that. Now, he obviously had one shot down the field, and Bryce didn't catch it, but uh, I think you got to, you know, you got to think about making go to, going to your strength and making teams defend what they probably don't want to defend. That you know, quick tempo, uh, all over the field, sideline to sideline, uh, you know, passing attack. That just is the way to go. And if you uh, if you go at them hard enough in that in that attack, and they really defend everybody, that's when you hit Buck out of the backfield. And now he's got a head of steam turned up field. And uh, life is really difficult if they've dropped off and, you know, covered everybody else. Uh, so I would say for this team, I think one-dimensional would be fine. If it's <laughs> going to be one-dimensional to their strength, and then that sets up the ability to run the ball. That makes sense. Um, let's go to Ed. He said, I thought Coach Orgeron did enough to deserve a chance at the head coaching job, but I'm trying to keep it open. We're getting a lot of this stuff. I'm trying to keep an open mind for Coach Sark. However, after two games of bad coaching, I'm almost there to starting to call for his head. I understand 
You have to give him time, but I think uh, we are going to find out real quick why his teams in Washington could never take the next step. Can anyone tell me why he was such a conservative play caller at Stanford or why we didn't adjust the defense in the second half at Boston College? It was clear as day. If we shut down the outside run, BC had nothing. And our own run was 0.7 yards per carry. Why do we wait so long to go all pass? Absolutely unacceptable. Ed, so... Well, well, I mean, uh, I, you know, I'm Sark's sure head. that, yeah, that, 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 you know, line of thinking is out there, and I think Sark knows it, and I, I'm, I'm sure he, he's the first one to understand. Um, from listening to him tonight, he absolutely understands whether he understands what, what other people are thinking. He understands in his own mind what he's thinking, and that was unacceptable. I mean, it really was. Uh, uh, not only the game plan, the execution, just the inability to adjust on the fly, you know, to to the circumstances in the game, and uh, the inability to make changes, uh, you know, to try to turn things around, or you know, just the, you know, the, the unwillingness to do that, and to just say, well, this is our game plan, we're sticking to it, and we're going to make it happen. Well, no, you didn't, and you couldn't, and um, you know, it's just. Um, I mean, I think it's the entire theme coming out of that game is what's going on here, and does this staff have the ability on both offense and defense to learn from this and to learn who their team is and how they need to coach them in practice and how they need to be able to, you know, adjust in games. And uh, the last two weeks, I mean, they dodged how many bullets at Stanford. Thank you, David Shaw. But uh, – they didn't dodge any last night, and uh, Boston College didn't let them. They kept, you know, firing at them. I just I think about that. You know, you, you talk about the inability on, uh, you know, on offense, but you were playing a team that could not throw the ball and would not throw the ball and should not throw the ball. How in the world did they gain, you know, whatever, 481 yards on the ground? How's that even possible? I mean – the best teams USC's ever played, the best teams in the history of college football, shouldn't be able to gain 481 yards on the ground when you know they're not going to throw it, when you know they can't throw it. You can't let them. Just, it was such a monumental fail all the way around in terms of game planning and execution and, uh, and adjustment in the game. I mean, it, it, you, you, don't, you can't do it any worse than they did. Okay. Some of you will bring up the Washington State game last year, but uh, uh, it was bad. It was really bad. Uh, we got one last one for you, Dan. He says, uh, you know, we had the Orgeron talk. There's going to be some Pendergast talk, too. So he said, uh, I'm not wanting to be negative or attack anyone here, but the season is honestly beginning to feel sickeningly like a Kiffin rewind because Sarkeesia is exhibiting the same unwillingness to adjust his play calling and unwilling to let his offensive coordinator – call the plays, but worse in a way because Wilcox seems to be emerging as inferior to Clancy Pendergast and Nansen, Nansen, he's talking about Johnny Nansen, seems to be emerging as inferior to last year's running backs coach. He doesn't even know who he is, but he thinks he's worse. Um, (laughs) If if anything, I'd like reassurance that my observation is completely off the mark. What am I not seeing? This is from Julian. Julian, we're going to find out how accurate your observations are. That's the challenge. I mean, let's face it. Last year's staff, once Lane was gone, 
did one of the more remarkable turnarounds in college football history. What they did last year was almost impossible to do in the middle of the season. And, you know, I don't know that it's ever happened before or ever happen again. I mean, last year, you know, they did a wonderful job. I mean, there's no question about it uh, in so many ways. Uh, basically, you know, they did a wonderful job, you know, just on the defense coming in after, you know, Monty and where that defense was. And, you know, it wasn't perfect. And they had a couple of, you know, Arizona State and the uh, uh, UCLA games, a couple of, you know, blips. But, uh but they, that was, you know, they ended up kind of almost a top ten defense nationally. So that was really that was pretty special effort. So it's not wrong, I think, to be comparing this staff to what that staff did last year because that's a compliment if you're going to be compared to what that staff did. I mean, that was uh, and what that team did, you know, and and reacting to all their, the circumstances they found themselves in, and that's a challenge for this staff, I think, is to to get this team to rally around, uh, you know, the way that team did last year. And, uh, you know, and you've got to give them something to rally around. You've got to make them, you know, be convinced that um, they're, um, uh, that what you're doing is the right thing. It's a smart thing. It's the thing that's going to help you win. It's all about the team. It's not about individuals, all of those kinds of things. And, uh, I think they did that really well last year, that whole, you know, the one heartbeat, one team, uh, you know, the uh, you know, CEO telling them, this is your team. You take it over. You, you know, you own this team. This is, this is about you guys. And I think, uh, you know, that's, that's the challenge of a new staff coming in. And, uh, you know, they, I thought they did it really well in the spring and, uh, I think they did, you know, a really nice job over the summer. I think they had a really good August. Uh, but things have changed a little bit. You know, now you're getting into game after game, and, and you've got other teams, you know, hitting you in, the nose, you know, in the nose out there and trying to stop you. And this is when, you know, coaching really becomes important and, and knowing who you are and knowing how you're going to win and knowing your players. And uh, and we'll see. I think this is this is – a big, big challenge for a new staff. Uh, following a staff last year that had performed so unbelievably well, uh, you know, when they were up against it. Well, to me, Dan, is like I mean, it's, you said exactly right. But the the Stanford game was so important because Edward Geron's signature win was Stanford. Now they they laid an egg too against UCLA. So I mean, the staff wasn't perfect, but the best win was a top five, you know, top five Stanford team. Being able to beat them, rally, I mean, it just was so galvanizing for this whole team. That was amazing. So because Ed Orgeron was able to do that, Steve Sarkeesian was going to be compared to him, followed up with another big win over Stanford in a similar fashion. I think that kind of got him, bought him some time. But it would have bought him some time if he didn't lose to Boston College. You know, like that would have been okay. It bought him a week. Yeah. It bought him a whole week. And Ed had two weeks. Ed had the Colorado game. (laughs) after the Stanford game, and then they ran into UCLA. And I do think people used to say, uh, you play Stanford, they beat you up, and everybody loses the next game or so. But the thing I'm thinking is one of the things, especially if you play well against Stanford, or as USC has the last two years, is you're so impressed with how you've played against Stanford, it's hard to move on to that next game. I mean, yeah. you, 
the Stanford game is such a one of a kind thing. And, uh, and coming back on the airport uh, from the airport to parking garage, I happened to be uh, luckily on a bus with a bunch of UCLA guys coming in from uh, uh, from Texas. And as much as they were excited about you know their win and the fact they won three three games and not played really all that well, uh, and and went in without Unley and all that, they couldn't believe that USC had lost. But the more they talk about you know and how could they possibly do this, the thing that kept Bugging them was they can't beat Stanford, and they, for the you know doesn't matter they absolutely can't beat Stanford, and yet uh, you know they were just baffled by USC beat Stanford. I wish we could do that, and then <laughs> thinking how do you how do they how does the team that beat Stanford play like this against Boston College? And I told them I said you know none of us have an idea either. I mean it's just you know the more you sat there you kept thinking how does that happen, but you could tell people, I said, people, Stanford makes you think about them. You know, the UCLA guys are thinking about Stanford. The USC guys are thinking about Stanford. And you got to figure out ways to put that Stanford game behind you. And I'm not sure everybody does, actually. You know, UCLA can't put the, you know, the losses to Stanford, and USC couldn't put the wins to Stanford behind them. But uh, that's why you got coaches. That's what coaches do, figure out how to do that. And, uh, it's going to be a real challenge uh, for this staff. Luckily, they got the bye week, and we'll see. But this is uh, this next two weeks are going to be really, really interesting and awfully important. They will. We'll be uh, out there at practice all week and bringing you the latest on uscfootball.com. Dan Weber, as always, thanks for coming on and, and sharing all your insights. It was a crazy weekend in Boston and uh, didn't, didn't end the way USC fans wanted to, but we'll see how these guys bounce back. It's going to be, I guess the next big challenge for their staff after some of the off field stuff. Now it's on field stuff. That's a big challenge. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's the challenge uh, in the coaches meeting rooms to figure this out. You know, they've got, you know, I'll have to practice tomorrow, but I think, I mean, you'd love to be able to, you know, sit in on that and just, hear the questions they're asking themselves. I mean, Sark was very public tonight about second-guessing himself, having doubts about his own performance and, and, and evaluating himself. Uh, and, uh, again, there is, you know, there's the difference between him and Lane in, in that way, is that, that willingness and that ability to say, you know, man, we may have been you know, going down the wrong path, and, and we maybe have been going down the wrong path, you know, the last couple of weeks. And maybe we need to really figure, you know, if I, I'm a run-first guy, but maybe that's not the right way to go. That was good. You know, it was good to hear that. Now, again, we've talked about this a lot. We all think we got the right questions. And questions don't matter that much if you don't get the right answers. Yeah. And that's the key in the next two weeks, coming up with those answers. we got to stay tuned for the answers. All right. Well, great stuff, Dan. You had all the answers tonight from all of our yeah. questions. Thanks, everyone else, for turning in those questions. It was great. Hopefully you enjoyed Coach Harvey Hyde, myself, and Dan Weber. We'll be back again next week with another edition of the Peristyle Podcast.
You've been listening to the Pear Style Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on parastylepodcast.com or search for Parastyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.